We are in the book of Ephesians, and um, we're going to be in it for a whole year. We're going to take a break in the summertime, and we're going to look at these Old Testament feasts and how they point into the gospel. But the rest of the time, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your worship guide, or if you have your glasses, I think you're okay with any of those. The Word of God is in front of you somewhere. So we're going to read through Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 this morning. And then we will slowly walk our way through it. I'll read for us this morning, which normally isn't the case, but let's, let's let me read this morning. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And then once again He says, to the praise of of His glory. Lord, this is Your holy word. Every word of it has been breathed out by You. And I pray, O God, as I often or always do, that what we hear this morning and take into our minds and into our hearts is that which is only of You and any other word that I haphazardly speak, incidentally, Lord, would just quickly fall to the ground. Lord, use your words and your teaching to change us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, quick review. I won't do lengthy reviews every week, but i got to do this one because we got a lot of new people that are here. So the book of Ephesians is broken up into the three sections. Okay, the first section, chapters 1 through 3, is position. So we're spending a lot of time in position. Okay, the second that we'll jump in in 4 and 5 and then part of 6 is practice. And then the last one is Protection. Okay, those are our three P's. They're probably in the worship guide uh, somewhere. Okay, last week we talked about these spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, and we hit adoption, we hit redemption, um, within the fact that we are heirs, so there's this inheritance that's there. Um, and then remember that the one thing that we're looking at in position is the gospel itself. And, and, and if this doesn't call us to do what Paul does over and over and over where he just exclaims to the praise of his glory and to the praise of his glorious grace, then we're missing the point. So what we said that we're doing is we're looking at the same topic every week. 
for a long duration of time, we've just got different lenses or we're looking at it from different angles. We use the Eiffel Tower as an example, we use the Grand Canyon as an example, and last week the word that I used over and over and over was, it is magnificent, except for I did it in my English-Italian dialect, and it was much better then. So, But what we're looking at is the gospel, and it is absolutely magnificent. We see in this first part the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, all working together. In verses 3 through 6, we see that the Father chooses, and we're going to talk about that today. Um, Verses 7 through 12, we see that the Son redeems, or He gives us forgiveness. And then verses 13 and 14, we see it's the Spirit that seals. So all three parts of the Godhead are involved in, as the Word just now said to us, your salvation. Okay, so let's go back and let's work through this passage again, okay? Today we are going to be looking at these words. We're going to look at chose, we're going to look at predestined. These are the terms within the passage. You can't study through Ephesians 1 and skip over these terms. If you do so, you're a scaredy cat, right? You've got to be able to step in and have a conversation about these things. So let's look at these pa- this passage again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us. That's read for a reason. We've got to look at that. Okay, In Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And in love, it says, He predestined us. Skip on down to verse number 11. It says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works out all things according you know, to the counsel of His will. So these particular topics, if you've been in the church for a long time, and if you haven't, you're not it's nothing. But if you've been in a church for a while, you will know that these words can be very polarizing. Okay? Denominations are established based upon where someone's position is or where the church's position is on God choosing or pre, um, predestining um, or not. Okay? Church splits have taken place all around us because of this topic. Here locally, there was a church split not long ago, and it was because of this particular topic, and the church was divided, and they split, and now there are two separate congregations, because they could not come to agreement on what this and other passages like this were about. Historically, people typically pull from one of two camps, and this is where you get these phrases. So John Calvin would be the individual who would be teaching or preaching uh, that God chooses. Now, he's not the only one, but he's the one that kind of became the poster child. So you've heard of Calvinism, and that's where that came from. There's this tulip that we won't go in through. Uh, into. So people would say, oh, you're a Calvinist. You're in the Calvinist camp. And then the other camp over here is, um, I always call him Joseph, but I was wrong. It's James Arminius. So Arminianism. Okay, and Arminianism, it was like, no, 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 God didn't choose. Everybody has free will to make their own decisions. That's completely up to man whether they come to faith in Christ or not. Now, if you want to dig in, you know, if you just wanted one book to historically kind of go back and look at the whole grand debate, um, I would recommend R.C. Sproul, and it's just a simple book called Willing to Believe. It just walks you through the history and goes into Scripture, and it does it in such a way. It's kind of like the book that we're recommending for Ephesians, Sit, Walk, Stand by Watchman Nee. It does it such a way that Camp Redstone kids that are here today would be able to read that book and say, oh, well, that makes sense. He does a really good job of like presenting that, so that's out there for you if you want to look at it. Okay, so, but in this passage, once again, we see Paul looking at it, and he's not doing what the polarizing church does, where we stop and we freak out because it doesn't make sense and we don't understand it. He just continues to praise God over and over and over. 
He'll, he'll exclaim this thing that the Lord has done. And again, we're looking at these spiritual blessings from a heavenly perspective, and there's this peripheral view, and we're seeing our salvation from God's perspective. And when he presents these things, he just pauses and he says, to the praise of his glory. And he'll go through another section, to the praise of his glorious grace. It's not something that has him saying, oh, but this doesn't make sense. Right? He just knows that God has called me. I was blind and now I see. I was persecuting Christians. We looked at it a few weeks ago. I was having Stephen stoned. I was having Christians put into prison. And because God chose to, he reached out and he revealed himself to me. He made me blind. He took the scales off of my eyes. And then I've come to faith and he's called me to preach his glorious gospel. And Paul says, I had nothing to do with that. But praise to the, you know, God for the, his glorious grace. So here's the, the, two, the two terms. I'm going to break it down and make it simple. So the first one is chosen. So when you think of the word chosen, it's choice and favor. And the actual term means this, if you're taking notes. The term means to pick, to single out, to select, to prefer, or to elect. Okay, that's going back and looking at the Greek and, and seeing what the definition is. Okay, uh, predestined, preplanned will. And the actual term means to determine beforehand to determine ahead of time, to set apart, to decide from the beginning. So the understanding, the idea of God choosing a people to display His glory is not something that's new to us. In fact, I, don't, I didn't turn these into truths. Usually I have truth number one through whatever, but today I'm not. But if you'll look, you'll see that God chooses people all throughout the Bible. I, I gave you a couple of examples. There are more. But we see in Genesis 5, God choosing Noah and his family to save them from the destruction that was going to come because of sin. And then we see um, in Genesis 12, God chooses Abraham in order to bless the nations. We see God choosing the nation of Israel. You know, this is his chosen people that he might have them as a light to the Gentiles and to all of the world. We see God choosing David through which the lineage of Christ would come. We see Jesus choosing 12 disciples, disciples. and um, they didn't stop what they were doing as fishermen or whatever, or as tax collectors, because of his charisma or because of his rhetoric or because of his persuasion. It wasn't that. He just looked at them and said, come follow me. And they dropped their nets and they began to follow him. And then again, we saw Paul in um, Ephesians 1, 1, where he himself says that he was chosen to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Last week, we looked at this passage. This is 1 Corinthians um, 1, 26-31. Consider these words. For consider your calling, there's the word, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let him who boasts Boast in the Lord. If you're going to boast, it needs to be in the Lord. And even in Ephesians 1, when we see these verbs, these action verbs over and over and over, there's like 14 or so of them, almost all of them are verbs that you can take back to God Himself. 
Now, I'm going to show you a couple of passages. There are a lot more that I could show you, but let's just look at these because they're pretty clear, okay? And we're going to wrestle with them, but we're not going to stop here. Then we're going to go over to the other side, and we're going to look at the passages that the Armenians would look at. And I think that that's what we need to do. We want the whole counsel of God, okay? So here's some for you. My passages are supposed to be read, and they're not, so I'll just tell you what they are. So John 6.37 is the first one. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So there's this calling, whoever the Father gives. Verse uh, John 6, 44, same, same chapter. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I mean, you see it. Those are clear statements. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, this is our Easter passage this year, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We were dead. Dead people do not revive themselves. Understand that. You cannot revive yourself. We were dead and God made us alive. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many believers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. Romans 1.6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Matthew 22.14, many are called, but few are chosen, which I don't think made it up there. Okay, and if those verses aren't enough, we can always go hang out very uncomfortably in Romans 9, and we can see that there was a choice to love Jacob and to completely reject Esau before either one of them had done anything at all. And that's why this doctrine can become so frustrating. In a meeting this past week with a couple of folks from Redstone Elizabeth, and you all will know who you are when you hear this, one of the individuals said, really, my biggest issue, this is a quote, is that I like to control things, and in this situation, I'm not in control. And I appreciated the candor of that statement so much because it took a lot of humility to say that. And I think that it's the same here with this topic and with topics like this. Because we don't have the ability to fully understand the concept. And when that happens, sometimes our default becomes to explain it away, you know, or to debate it, or to be angry even. But before we become too settled with these passages and say, well, there it is, it's just as clear as it can be, who can argue against that? Let's go back and let's look at some other passages that show that mankind is responsible for his or her choices regarding salvation and that God desires the whole world to be saved. Okay? So it's not that easy. 
2 Peter 3.9. Here's a good one. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That seems pretty clear. There's the heartbeat of God. His desire is for all of mankind to, to be saved. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Look at this. I want you to see this. And this is where the struggle and the angst can come because it's hard to reconcile these. Jesus is looking out over Jerusalem. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you or your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing. I longed to do this, but you were not willing. Do you see that? John three sixteen through 18 For God loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever, whoever is a key word for us, believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 1 John 2.2, 2, very similar. He is the propitiation. There's our word from back in the Gospel 101. I love that word. Uh, the propitiation of our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the, whole, the sins of the whole world. Acts 17.30, we saw this one in our CBR, our community Bible reading this past week. So if you're doing community Bible reading, this one probably jumped out at you. It says, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. So there is this logical conclusion that comes with some of these statements. Why would God desire that all people be saved, but only choose certain ones to be saved? Why would He say, I long to nurture you, but you won't? You wouldn't. You chose not to. You know, why would He command everybody to repent, but then not give people the ability to repent? Matthew 25, 41 then he, he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into, notice this, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Who was hell prepared, prepared for? Was it prepared for those that he did not choose, or was it prepared for the devil and his angels? Those are just examples. Okay? And that has me saying, I don't know, and I'm just going to walk away. Well, no, we're not going to do that. But that's what happens. So you, what you see is with this polarizing topic, people are like, okay, I have to choose. So either I'm in this camp or I'm in this camp. I remember several, several years ago reading a book. You know, I'm always giving you books to read. This one's J.I. Packer. It's called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And in this book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, um, Mr. Packer is going out of his way to show that God is calling us to be an evangelistic people. The Great Commission is a command, it's not a suggestion. But he also shows clearly these other passages that I looked at. But at the end of the day, you have no ability to save anyone. Only God can open up someone's heart. And he says, I get it, I understand your frustration because you don't understand these things. But here's the thing, God has not given us minds to understand the ways of God. Our response must be faithfulness and it must be obedience and having faith in God. And he used this word, I had never heard it before, but it was the word antinomy. Antinomy 
means a perceived and apparent contradiction between two laws or two truths. In other words, in this case, both are true, and the apparent contradiction between predestination and free will, man being responsible for his sins and um, you know, God not necessarily being the one that's choosing, um, is there in our minds, but it's not with God. I love the quote that's underneath there. It says, election and faith. I think this is in your worship guide if you're taking notes, either Camp Redstone kids or adults. Election and faith belong in the same sentence, and it is a sentence that only God can write. So we don't understand all of God's ways, and I would suggest, nor should we. And if we're honest with ourselves, this isn't the only topic that we're not going to understand, but there's other things that we are going to understand, and we're not necessarily going to like. There may be some things that God chooses to do in a way that He chooses to reveal Himself or His glory that you would say, or I would say, well, if I was God, I would have done it a different way, right? We may not like that. And it reminds me of this time in John chapter 6 when Jesus is looking out to the people and He says this. He says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true blood, and my blood is true drink. And a few verses later in 66 it says, And after this many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. They didn't like what he had to say. And what he was trying to say there, which is a different sermon, you know, is that he needs to be our sustenance. He has to be the only hope that we have for our salvation. If we're looking at our good works, if we're looking at our religion, if we're looking at anything else that we can kind of lean into and that be our sustenance, you know, to, to bring us through and bring us into salvation, then we're completely missing it. It has to be him. But the way that he presents himself as being the only way, people were like, you know what? I think I've had enough of this teacher and he offended them, and they walked away. So then Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, to, not just to Peter, but to the twelve, in verse number 67, he says to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? But listen to Peter's response. Verse number 68, he says, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Even if I don't like it, even if I see this struggle with predestination or choosing or whatever, and, and the fact that you, you have this doctrine or you're making these choices or whatever, and I don't like it, well, where am I going to go? There's no one else that can bring salvation to me except for you. I don't like the fact that Stephen and Lydia's baby died. I don't like it at all. You know, Adam McCain's one of my best friends on the planet. He's hurting right now. I don't like the fact that his dad got COVID. Planning to move here. Excited. Getting ready to marry his daughter in the day of the wedding. He goes into the hospital and he never made it out. I don't like you know, the fact that Christians have to suffer. I don't like that. I don't like verses that say, if you're going to give, live a godly life in Christ Jesus you will be persecuted. But like Peter, well, where am I going to go? Now, we're not leaving it there. That's not the end of the sermon. I'm going to give you hope. But I'm just trying to be honest with you. There are things that we see in Scripture that we, we may not like. 
because we don't understand them. And we're a people, we apply logic and we want to see it, how it fits together. And if we don't understand how something fits together, we get really, really frustrated. And that's what's happening with this particular topic. And this is why it causes division and separation. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that way. It wasn't that way with Paul. He was like, all I know is I was called by God to the praise of His glory as grace. Our response needs to have faith in God or is to have faith in God and to just faithfully obey. But personally, when these struggles come up and there's things I don't like or don't understand, my default is to go to passages like 1 Corinthians 13 and remind myself that God is love. I don't understand this thing because that doesn't look very loving, but God is love. He is not rude. He is compassionate. He is patient. He is good. So the issue lies not with Him, but it lies with me as a finite being that doesn't, doesn't fully understand all of the, the ways of my infinite Creator. Our default must be, and again, if you're filling in the blanks, this one's in your worship guide, our default must be that God is love and that God is good. These are eternal truths at the very core of salvation. We must go to them often when we run into these life is hard and there is tremendous pain in this world walls because we will hit those walls often. And as I stated at the beginning, when topics like this come up and our default um, isn't to go to the loving goodness of God, we can find ourselves frustrated because in the end we want to understand and we want to settle on a position. Are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? Right, there's your two choices. You know, are you for, you know, um, John Calvin or Arminium, Arminius? You got to choose. It's, it's, it's those two. And that's what we see happening. My daughter Colby and I were having this conversation on the way to school on Friday morning, and we were talking about how we hate it when people are like, are you a Republican or you're a Democrat? And her response was good. It made me happy. And it's, I'm a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower. That's what I am, right? Don't label me. I'm a Jesus follower, and I'm going to follow him. But that is not enough, you know, for some people. Like, I, mean, I get that, yeah, but you got to choose, right? And it's the same way here with this topic. So, our last point today, and I want to walk through this, and then we're actually going to close, is this topic of how can we step into hard, controversial, and even high doctrinal issues, including this one. So I put a note on there that this is coming from the Redstone Collective because these are things that we're saying at Redstone Johnson City and we're saying at Redstone Elizabethan. There are some things that we come together, we say, hey, we need to define our terms and let's make sure that we're saying the same things. Okay, so these are things they're walking through and that we're walking through as well. So these are in your worship guide, filling in notes. I'll walk through them slowly. Number one, simply admit that there's a great mystery with the doctrine and our finite minds will never fully comprehend it. That's a good starting place because it takes humility just to go before God and say, I just know you're a God and I'm not because I don't get this and I don't understand that. And the Lord will accept that all the time. A broken and contrite heart 
Psalm 51 says, the Lord will never turn away. He'll never despise. Number two, while affirming the mystery, we must also affirm the other attributes about God. I just stated this. He is loving. He is eternally sovereign. He is gloriously uh, gracious. He is infinitely wise. And each one of those that I just mentioned, they are outlined in Ephesians 1. Number three, know that what you believe about fill in the blank, and in this case we're talking about choosing and predestination. Whatever you believe about this, it will not impact your salvation. You're not saved by your personal view on this particular subject. Your salvation does not ride on your understanding of high doctrinal positions and truths. A great many brilliant men have written these volumes. I've got Lewis Burkhoff and I've got Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. These guys are brilliant. And they disagree on stuff. And they're, they're working through it. And it's not just them, but you know, great minds throughout history that are people that were born from dust, that are finite, are trying to figure out the ways of the infinite. And they have great thoughts. But it's not always clear because there's some deep issues and there's some deep struggles that are there. So having to pick one does not impact your salvation because you don't have to. You don't have to fully understand these things. Remember when we were going through Philippians, and we, we quote this like every other week, at least now still, Philippians 1.6, he who began a work in you, you know, good work in you, will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Sanctification is a process. There's things that like when I was young in my faith, I didn't understand at all. But I can look at some of those doctrines now and say, oh, I actually think I get that one. I think I've read enough scripture that I can support why I believe this particular doctrine. And that's the way it is with us as well. But I don't think any of us would get to the end of our lives and say, I get predestination and choosing now. It all makes perfect sense. I don't think we have the ability to do that. And I think that was God's choice. Number four, recognize that wherever you land, it does not negate the importance of being evangelistic. Sharing the gospel regularly and clearly, uh, for God uses the gospel and the foolishness of what is preached to save people. And Sam's going to talk a little bit about this at announcements today, about how we're stepping into some of this within community groups. Consider uh, this passage from Romans 10, 14. Um, I don't know if I've got the reference here right, because I've got 14 through 14, and that doesn't make any sense. So let me just read what I have. It says, How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they've not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Remember, it's the gospel itself that is the power of God for salvation. It is the tool that he uses to choose who's going to come to faith in Christ. He uses it to save people. It's his story of God coming to visit a sinful mankind and paying the penalty for their sins and willingly giving himself up for them and, and dying on a, a cross, a bloody death, and then arising from the dead and conquering the grave and conquering sin and conquering death itself for all eternity. That sounds like foolishness to people, and God says it's through the foolishness of what is preached in that gospel that I am choosing to save people with. 
Therefore, we must go. We must be bold and we must share. No matter where we lie with man's free will and God's sovereign choice. Number five, never approach any subject with a critical spirit or even a tribalism fervor. And what I mean by that is you can easily kind of start following people or leaders, you know, um, even within the larger church, you know, you can see people that are like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm a big, I'm a Chandler guy. You know, I'm a Matt Chandler guy. You know, where I'm, yeah, I'm a Piper guy, where I'm a whomever. And you see people like starting to follow individuals. And the same thing happens with predestination, you know, with free will. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Calvinist. Well, what do you even mean by that? Do you know what that means? You know, are you willing to dig into the Scripture and really handle those other hard passages that seem to contradict yours? Or are you not even able to do that because you've already made up your mind? We can, we can create these walls, and we shouldn't. So that's where tribalism comes in. And then number six. Oh gosh, number six is so important. Always approach the topics of the Bible in worship. We are created people. He chose to save us. He chose to reveal Himself to us. We live to worship Him. And the more we understand, we should worship. And we should come before Him saying, Oh God, who am I? I know nothing. Lord, so please reveal some of Your truth to me. So coming to topics like this on our knees is much better with coming to topics like this thinking that we understand things of God. We are hopeless and helpless apart from Him. As we close a couple of weeks ago, I remember telling you all some of my salvation story of when I was a sophomore in college. And at 3 o'clock in the morning was when I felt the call of God on my life. And I looked in the mirror, and for the first time I saw myself as a sinner before a holy God, and I told you that I picked up the phone after wrestling for an hour, and I called my pastor, and he met me at the church. And I told you to never do that. That was wrong. You should never call your pastor at 4 a.m., okay? I'm kidding. Um, Sam, those will be forwarded to you. But I think about that moment, and as I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking the same thing. I didn't wake up that day, and I didn't say, you know what? Today I'm going to feel conviction for sin. Yep. I've been doing all of these things, and I've been living this way, and my hypocrisy is great, and I've got my church life, and then I've got my, my other life, and today I think I'm going to deal with that. I think I'm going to just feel conviction of sin. It wasn't that way. It was like Paul. There were blinders on my eyes, and he chose, in his glorious grace, to reveal himself to me. And over the years, you know, I was a school administrator in a Christian school for 23 years, and we required people to come in and share their testimony. I've listened to a lot of testimonies in my life, and I've done that with at least half of you all, even just this past year over coffee. And all of our stories are the same. The details are different. The setting is different. You know, but at the end of the day, there was this moment in your life where God chose to help you to see your sin and He enabled you to believe the gospel. And in the end, that's good enough for me. I don't have to understand everything else. I don't have to. Instead of having this overly 
analytical, maybe even a critical response, our response should be worship. Our response should be exaltation. Our response should be thankfulness. Let me keep going here. I've already got these. Our response should be what we said over and over and over. It should be that. It should be, blessed be the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ to the praise of your glorious grace. You saved me from myself. You saved me from my sins. You saved me from the clutches of the enemy himself. I don't have to understand how you did it. I don't have to have all of this figured out, but I do have to praise you and thank you. And if you're sitting here as a believer, and maybe this is an area that you've struggled with, just don't. Ask yourself, how did you come to faith in Christ? Do you remember? It's good to remember. Over and over and over, you see it in Scripture. You know, get these stones and place them here, and when your children ask you, what are these stones for? Tell them what God has done. In the same way you have these stones in your life, where we use you know, the word fence post in your life. Go back and remember the fence post of when you came to faith in Christ. You wake up that day and say, yep, I want to feel conviction for sin today, and I think I might just find Jesus. No, it wasn't that way at all. He revealed himself. You humbled yourself. He revealed Christ, and you accepted Christ. And there's a great mystery. When we get into chapter 2, you're going to see it over and over. Mystery, 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 mystery. I think it's five times. It is a mystery. And I don't have to fully understand that. And if you're sitting here today, and if you're saying, well, I don't know him. You know, well, what am I to do? It's the same thing we're all called to do. Repent. Believe the gospel. It's true. He desires all people everywhere to be saved. He commands everyone everywhere to repent. And today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, so maybe you're hearing this gospel. And you're like, I suddenly feel conviction for sin. That's what Jesus does. That's what He did to me. He whispers to us. He reveals these things to us. And our response needs to be, Oh God, give me faith to believe. The foolishness of what Jerry is saying, that you would come to us and that you would die for my sins, is that true? Would you love me enough that you would give yourself for me? He did and He would. To the praise of His glorious grace. That should be enough. Let's pray together. Lord, as we did before we stepped into our time of uh, teaching this morning, as Creator and the one who can speak to us about things that no one else can reach us with or in ways that no one else can speak in a way that we could hear it, Lord, speak to each of us. Remind us of what we need to be reminded of. Draw us to you, but have your way with us as a church body. Just be still before the Lord for a few minutes. In Christ's name we pray.